Hello from Burbank, California. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of Write That Down. On the Fight Game Media Network, I'm Justin Nipper. I edit over at fightgamemedia.com. I write over at FOW Online, WrestlingObserver.com. I work for Wrestling Noah, Cyberfight Inc. And this week, once again, I'm back with Mr. Fumi Saito, who happens to be Japan's leading pro wrestling author and historian and broadcast journalist and sociologist and all that good stuff. And on this week's episode, I'm stoked for this week's episode because we got to talk about the very special, very talented Adrian Adonis. And not only his time uh, with WWF, I think probably that's what many of us uh, think to first when we hear Adrian Adonis's name, but we spent a lot of time talking about his excellent work with New Japan back in the day, uh, his whole career from, from the beginning until uh, from working in territories like uh, Portland, Oregon. We talked about his time in Amarillo, Texas, the Blanchards, uh, when they were on television in USA before uh, World Wrestling Federation, I think it was Southwest Championship Wrestling. We talked a lot about AWA. Adonis' time in AWA, East-West Connection, Jesse Ventura. Of course, we talked about his stint as the adorable one, WWF, uh, and a lot in between. And I think that if you're not familiar with Adrian Adonis' work outside of the WWF, and you love great pro wrestling you need to spend some time and check some of his work in new japan out at least at least um i say he's talented and special because um not many that were his size were able to move as seamlessly as silky smooth as adrian adonis and not too many people were able to connect with audiences to a point where they can where you could very clearly see fans losing themselves in the match because of his work um, frankly i don't know how else to put it i mean in like a nice soft articulate way but the fact that he's not as talked about is bullshit excuse my language but i i do feel that he is one of the main faces of that early wwf rock and wrestling boom and the fact that we don't talk about him or appreciate him as much and the fact that compounded with just the total tragedy of how he left us it doesn't feel right so doing this show for me it feels right and i really hope that you learn something like i did from fumi and we can celebrate and talk more and more about adrian adonis's career so on that note let's do some plugs if you have not already please go and subscribe to the viking media network podcast feed it's on apple spotify 
Downcast, wherever you are listening to your podcasts, hit the subscribe button, write a review. It helps us a ton. Okay, let's get into the life and times of Adrian Adonis. They want to know anything at all about anything, you know. You today, you you know, Google it, and they'll lead you into Wikipedia first, right? Anyhow, that's right. And uh, Wikipedia, you know, on Adrian Adonis doesn't even mention anything on his New Japan Pro Wrestling run, which is a shame because he kind of has a different reputation over and oh god, altogether. I mean... And in the one paragraph, New Japan Pro Wrestling, nineteen eighty. That was the very, very last tour uh, Adrian had with New, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and it was two months before his passing, mm-hmm. May of, of 1988. But in reality, Adrian had this regular tour between 82 to 85. In three-year period, he had 11 tours with New Japan. Jeez, so how many – so a tour would be about six, eight weeks? Uh, no, sometimes four, four weeks, sometimes five weeks, some short uh, six, uh, three week tour, but some like seven, eight week tour. So he was, he was coming in like a three, you know, three tours a year for like a four year period. Yeah, so it's a regular a significant amount of time. It's almost like, a yeah, regular, in Japan, like he enjoyed it. Yeah. Cause he doesn't have to drive in Japan. The bus is there and the hotel. I mean, all through this, you know, four weeks, five weeks tour that the hotel's already been booked. All you have to do is get to the lobby and get on the bus and you be at the either hotel or building. When you get to the hotel, the, the office, you know, will check in for you and you, they're just going to hand you the key to the room. And the next town goes then just, it's, it was really nice way to spend a four or five week tour just on wrestling. He doesn't have to worry about anything. And during the day, until you get to the building, you, you do your thing, you know, in Japanese town or find a gym that always let you work out there. And actually, he and Hal Kogan were friends. They're both same age, 53. And uh, yeah. Adrian was very comfortable working in Japan. Yeah. And he and we got to see a different style of wrestling. He's got a, we got to see Adrian Adonis go 100% and the athleticism that he had, I guess it was natural because the way he moved, especially at the time, you couldn't compare him to many other wrestlers. Maybe like a, a Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy oh, Rose. But it's not Cowboy Bob Orton. Sure, sure. It, yeah. He, you look at him and he... What to expect? I don't know what you could expect from, uh, and and also yeah, he didn't have bodybuilder naturally. He did not have bodybuilder physique. You know, we're not gonna kid about that. You know, but, but he, uh, he also, could move. He could move, and the, and in, especially in Japan, he had the look of just a, a real life tough guy from back then with the the motorcycle, uh, the, yeah. uh, the the leather. yeah black leather, yeah riders leather jacket, yeah. And he had a leather hat too, first couple of tours, you know, and had a New York NY logo on his back. Mm. He really is from Buffalo, New York, you know, mm. and he, he was a football player and wrestler and he went to college and uh, he was trained by none other than Fred Atkins, that uh, tough guy. 
Fred Atkins was a trainer for Giant Barber's second tour in America. And also Fred Atkins was responsible for training Tiger Jeet Singh. He just doesn't train anybody. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Adrian's daughter t- t- told me one time that uh, he had to beg Fred Atkins to train him. You know, then uh, you have to lose twenty pounds before you come. You know, you come to me. Then, then I might train you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's something to do with you know Italian heritage that uh, uh, eat, eat a lot of carbohydrates or something. I don't know that uh, it was easy for me. Uh, I mean, for Adrian to to gain weight naturally. Some people like that, right? Mm. And uh, later on in his career, right, he got really heavy, you know, and then people remember his physique kind of almost around, but he wasn't like that always. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, Adrian's legacy of... has been overlooked, how talented, actually talented he was, and he could move. And uh, I want today's, you know, YouTube generation people, uh, you know, going to YouTube and find his old matches. Yeah. I think there might even be some of his on uh, New Japan World. Yeah, that too. Yeah, and some of the some of the things that's not on New Japan World, like 1983, Adrian Adonis against Andre the Giant single match, very even match. Hmm. Andre though, he, you know, that, it, that should say it, a lot about uh, kind of how special or how important he was in the ring back then. And, and and you could tell the way, you know, Friday night, New Japan Pro Wrestling on Channel 10, that the primetime TV they're doing. First week of the tour, they start out with like a six-man tag team situation in the main event. Adrian was in it and got put over. Second week, he's already had a single match against people like Fujinami. And third week on television, he had single, not the title match, but the single match main event against Antonio Inoki. It's like, wow. wow. The, the company, you know, like Office, Inoki himself, Sakaguchi, Booker, they were all watching. Oh, oh we like this guy, right? Hmm. Yeah. It was uh, actually, I, I, I pretty much followed Adrian's career a lot because he, he debuted 1974, okay? And the record shows that uh, he was working under his real name, Keith Frank, very first. And he started out as WWF enhancement talent mm-hmm. and a few matches. Then you go into territory. Now that, the, you know, the tales of territories, right? You know, That's the right. dark side yeah, documentary, the people you know, really finally learning about there was such thing as such thing as territories that the, every state had their, not the state state, but the, every area, you know, geographic area had their good-sized wrestling company that travels and uh, they have a, their own TV, you know. And Adrian went to Pacific Northwest, you know, Oregon, Portland, Seattle, mm-hmm. you know, Tacoma, and Yakima, that the, you know, the West Coast. And, and he was still Keith Frank, you know. But uh, he had worked with people like a young Roddy Piper, you know, th- these... Years before they were like a real polished superstar with WWF plate, but the, they had these, you know, younger talent. They were so hungry and wanted to work seven days a week, just have a lot of matches under their belt. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. And you actually become your own person and you eventually become your own character. And Oregon was such a place. And it, you can find old old footage of Pacific Northwest too, you know, younger Piper, uh, 
younger Adrian, uh, Keith Frank, or like, people like young Rick Martel, that uh, all these people work in Oregon, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a smaller territory, but uh, you can work seven days a week. And uh, actually only have like a 12 14 guys in the territory but the, you do work with, with one another so many times that you actually get this rhythm and uh, you know what i'm saying like mm. you really develop your own style and finding out what style you want to go or what you want to do or how you want to portray yourself um it's just have to talk to yourself would you want to be a scientific wrestler or you want to be a brawler or you want to be cheating kind of guy or you know what i'm saying mm. and adrian started becoming more adrian adonis then then he went down to west coast you know mike labelle territory um olympic auditorium you know that that's when japanese magazine gets a lot of photos because there was a photographers in in, in the la area that every olympic auditorium photos that the at the olympic auditorium was on japanese magazine all the time then we you know see the name keith franks put an s on it you know mm-hmm. yeah keith franks yeah his name is real name is frank but the, the ring name in california was keith franks i don't know some well, maybe somebody misspelled on, on on program and kind of stuck i don't know like mr pogo you know I don't know who it was, but uh, his name was Keith Franks. Then he went down to Amarillo, Texas, became Adrian Adonis, when Terry Funk was a promoter. Mm-hmm. Isn't that Which interesting? Which year was this? Which year was this? By, by the... uh, 77, 78, around there? 77, yeah. 78. Yeah, when he became Adrian Adonis. You know, Adrian Adonis is Ad- Adonis, is Adonis, you know, like, uh, you know, like your Italian ocean, you know, mm-hmm. the sea. And Adrian, you know, is like a Greek god. You're falling in love with yourself, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's a perfect, you know, wrestling name, I think. A.A. Adrian Adonis, you know, something Terry Funk could come up with. And what was his um, personality or character like at that time when he was in Amarillo? Did he change it a little? Uh, I, think, I think he was becoming like a young cocky heel okay yeah yeah real cocky you know snotty you know heel but it's like extension of himself a little mm-hmm. bit yeah I, I get you, i get what you mean yeah oh because uh i was told uh, by terry funk and he tells that to a lot of people that the wrestling character has to be the extension of real self exaggeration that you have to have it in you first then you can, you know, make, make, you know, kind of exaggerate, you know, exaggerate the part of yourself. And Adrian was snotty, cocky, you know, like a spitting, you know, spitting somebody's face. I mean, just mm, real snotty heel. Yeah. And what caught Terry Funk and Terry Toe's eyes was that they were doing old-fashioned take-on-all-comer thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like a fan to have, you know, have fan get in the ring and, you know, la- you know, wrestle this guy. And, you know, if you can last five minutes, I'll give you money kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Adrian was doing it. So that's tough guy. Cause you never know what kind of drunk, well, not the drunk, but the, you know, ex football player or somebody, t- some tough guy from local bars, or you, you really never know in America what kind of guy will get in the ring with you. 
Yeah, and back then it was also a time where no one really knew what a, a true fight looked like. You know, it was still <laughs> a time where uh, what we saw in, in the movies on our TV was different from what... Oh, the fist fight? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think that building that image of a, a tough guy was even more important back then. And when you applied to pro wrestling, I, I think... Uh, <laughs> Adrian Adonis with that that look. Yeah, and actually, people didn't really acknowledge it, but the, he was high school state champion type wrestler. Mm. He could yeah. really move. He he could move pretty smoothly. Yeah. and and also like, tough enough to go go you know going to college football and living in the fraternity house. You know how how hard they party. That's you know? right. I mean, and yeah. do the practice, and just you you were the king of the campus, and and. Uh, Sometimes football player in college, you're the popular guy, but or most hated guy. Right, right. Yeah. And he was college football fraternity type person, and he carried that, you know. And I think he was perfect fit for Amarillo territory. You know, I'm Texas. Amarillo, Texas was wasn't exactly big, big territory, but it attracted like a tough guy, you know, beer drinking male audience, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was doing take on all comer thing, and he wasn't even all that famous then. He was just becoming Adrian Adonis. Yeah, seventy-eight means was, like he was he was like twenty-five then still. Was he talking on the microphone at this point, or is he just? Uh, not really. I don't think so. But I haven't really watched uh, if it exists even that the Amarillo Territory TV show. Yeah, I, I don't know if he was, if he was talking. Hmm. But a little bit later on, the, you know, it kind of gives me the hint. With you know, We'll talk about that later on. But uh, he had two different runs with WWE, right? Mm-hmm. You know, initially, when Bob Backlund was champion, after his AWA run, both Adrian Adonis and Jesse the Body Venture went to WWE as a single competitor. You know, those two are East-West Connection, and they were AWA Tag Team champions. But uh, when... Vince McMahon Sr. called that uh, they broke the team up and each uh, individual, Jesse Venter and Adrian Adonis as a single guy, they both challenged Bob Backlund's title. That tape exists. Good match. What I'm talking about is with this WWE environment, WWF at the time, Adrian was uh, managed by people like Bobby Heenan one time, Freddie Blassie at one point, Jimmy Hart one point, Lou Albano, Saul Oliver Humperdinck, or in AWA, young Paulie Dangerously. Mm. So he always had manager, seemed like. That was the style back then, especially for you know who was viewed as the top heel, top bad guy in in the company. Yeah, in the territory. yeah, yeah. But the. Uh, WWE run was cha- champion Bob Backlund, like old-fashioned, before Hulk Hogan era, that the, have people like Freddie Blassie and, and Lou Albano as as your manager, that's top heel. Mm. Mm. Single top heel. Yeah, so he, uh, with, with WWE, yes, he always had manager, so he wasn't the master of promo, right? Mm. In AWA, East-West Connection, Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adanis. Jesse Ventura was the one doing all the talk. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, I guess. But then again, when when Adrian worked for uh, South uh, San Antonio, Texas, Southwest, hmm. 
that the Joe Blanchard, Tali Blanchard's father, mm-hmm. Joe Blanchard's territory. He was single guy and he was running, you know, cutting his own promo too. So he maybe was able to do the promo, but uh, some place they put the manager on him, and so he didn't have to do the talking. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, rewind the tape a little bit that the eight uh, that the. Amorello territory when he became Adrian Adonis, I'd say 70, uh, late 77 into 78. That's when he was taking all comer like your, you know, tough guy in the ring and take this guy down and then chew him and then uh, today's word, uh, guillotine him, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So he was able to do that. And then uh, back then, about a year or so, year or two years you stay in territory then you move on into another territory that was the territory days right mm. yeah and then uh, summer of 79 he came to awa finally as adrian adonis and i was there at the building he was the night he came to awa he had uh he worked opening match mm-hmm. opening match the finish was elbow drop after second rope and spinning tall hold like Terry Funks. Mm. And people tap I'm tap out or give up and spinning tall hold, you know, Terry Funk, Tory Funk style. Spinning tall hold wasn't the move AWA wrestlers were doing at the time. Yeah, that um how would you describe the AWA style? It was more of like a um a, a bigger uh, a bigger guy. Uh, it's a very simple Vern Gagne um formula that uh, each and every name wrestler have their own finish. Oh, they always do. And uh, people don't kick out of people's finish. And uh, it was simple formula who would be the next challenger for Verngania or who would be the next challenger for uh, Nick Bakwenko. And your next big show at the St. Paul Civic Center is or the Salt Lake City or Milwaukee, Green Bay, you know what I'm saying? That, that they had this programming sort of. And... Uh, uh, a lot of times, it's like AWA was a co- kind of company. Same crew would be traveling city to city to city. See, like in NWA cities, like uh, Iowa, the Kansas, that uh, Missouri, that they have wrestlers coming in and out, right? Hmm. But the AWA was more like a package deal, like a, a Japanese company. That the package roster of AWA guy, 25 guys, would be traveling, you know, city to city and basically giving the same card. Kind of WWE, huh? Right. I was just going to say, I think this was kind of the template for what WWE or WWF at the time would come. 84 on. Because at that time, I don't know if WWF was uh, touring much outside of the Northeast area. No, they weren't. So I, I think this, uh, what would you call it, strategy, promotional strategy that AEW, uh, AWA had um, with uh, like a package. It was like it was a the company and yeah. Gagne were the main draws. Just the floor, you know, a couple floor below AWA's office in Wayzata, Minnesota, that there was a travel agent, All Star Travel. They handles all the wrestlers traveling, so they all had the plane ticket ready for you. Mm. You know, then it's a, it's a very modern way to run the wrestling company, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but all in all, Adrian came in and worked the first match, the very first night. But the second week on, he moved up the card pretty much right away. 
And so Vern Gagne must have liked him. But there he had to move from wherever he was then, that he had to come to Minnesota and move. You know, then he was living in Vernsville, Minnesota. This is because they make you move to to the city because we'll be, you know, working five nights a week here kind of thing. And you two crossed paths in Minnesota, didn't you? Minnesota, of course. And actually, Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura, those two were the very first one. I was 19-year-old puppy photographer in the ringside. The Vern didn't even believe me that I was working for the magazine. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah, and then also they had the people in the dressing room, the Crusher, Mad Dog Vashon, Baron Von Raschke, Sheik Adnan. It's like, oh my gosh, they're seniors, right? <laughs> right. And you were yeah. you freaked out or were you nervous? Oh, no, they, they were superstars, of course, but uh, they considered Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis were they're just the punks. <laughs> At the time, it's funny how uh, you know history. I mean, evolves. I mean, I'm talking about like things 40 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, because Crusher's gone, Vern's gone, the Mad Dog's gone. You know that uh, it's just so. Many, oh, even Mr. Bachwinkle, that uh, all those uh, Ray Stevens, Pat Patterson, you know, come in sometimes. That the yeah, all those AW legends are gone, and their prime were like 40, 50 years ago, right? Mm. But uh, AWA was kind of senior in a league that they still had Vern, Mad Dog as tag team, the Crusher come in, Baron Von Rashke, the, uh, all those older guys in, in the dressing room, like more like a backstage area, Adrian and Jesse Ventura were the youngest ones. Then next youngest one was like a Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, you know? And young Kurt Henning was still referee. Out of, right out of high school. Isn't that's that right. That's right. I mean, like, I mean, five, six years before he was Mr. Perfect, you know what I'm saying? He was, see, Kurt Henning became AWA champion first, you know, after all these guys left for WWF, you know, with Hulk Hogan. And they wanted to make Kurt Henning champion, right? But uh, WWE wanted to sign Kurt Henning right away. And his father, Larry, said, no, don't go, you know. And, uh, but they couldn't, AWA couldn't pay them any more than 1500 a week, you know, something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, he, uh, Carton Henning had to wait to sign with WWE until like 87. Mm. The Adrian and Jesse, I mean, now today's, you know, uh, if this, you know, today's audience hear this, you know, it's like, oh, no way, right? But the, actually, Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura were the two, the youngest guys in the dressing room. Mm. <laughs> You know, you had the young because you had, yeah, because you have Vern Gagne, the Mad Dog Vashan, the Crusher, the Baron Bon Rashki, the, I mean, all oh, this is like a senior wrestlers, right? With promoter Warren Cobble or somebody, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was like, you know, of course I stood with my camera on and, and, and you know, you know, camera, you know, I was holding it and all scared and standing in, in the hallway, right? not being able to talk to anybody. And Adrian was the one. Adrian said, come on over. And then and start talking. Oh, my gosh. Great. You know? Yeah. Now, did they really treat friendly. you like a, like a outside reporter? Or did they treat you like one of the fans? Or, or what was it like when you were backstage with Adrian? Oh, when I was like a 1920? Yeah. They were really friendly and nice about it. You know, it wasn't really total kayfabe or anything like that. Mm. Vern was the one who was like a complete kayfabe, you know, environment, you know, and they wanted to keep. 
Mm. Um, Adrian and Jesse was like a rebel within that, you know, environment. And uh, yeah, uh, Adrian was the only one friendly. And also, also, he just came in the territory and he was young. And compared to like, like I said, Vern or Mad Dog Vashan or The Crusher or Nick Bockwink or Ray Stevens, they treated him like a rookie too. You mm. know, some, some green guy, right? Mm. And uh, the babyface side rookie was Steve Olsnowski and Paul Ellering. Later on, he became Precious Paul, remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he was still babyface. But like a first match, second match, rookie kind of guy. And like I said, Kurt Henning, young, young Kurt Henning, right out of high school, he was still referee then. Yeah, so Adrian and Jesse Venture was really friendly. And uh, I was really happy that, uh, oh, yeah, I can talk to these, these guys. And, uh, yeah, uh, it was really, yeah, he was he was the one who was, you know, being really friendly. Yeah. And I was, you know, that fortunate enough to witness that the, those two climbing up the ladder, you know, that the, all of a sudden, Jesse Venter and Adrian Adonis, they were put together as a tag team east-west connection you know because jesse venture was built that he's from venice beach california or something right mm-hmm. and adrian adonis from new york city new york then uh, east-west connection well perfect and they were challenging then awa tag team champion burn Gagne and matt dog and they were flying all over the place. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Body, you know, like a back body drop to, uh, I mean, doing an easy move, but, you know, like a Vern Gagne doesn't, you know, have this strength move, right? Maybe like a nice timing head in hip toss, but the, you won't do the big body slam or, you know, big suplex that takes strength, you know, but there was a more of a timing thing that the, Adrian walked right into the move, you know, and then taking big, you know, one big move after another. And I studied him, you know, it's like, wow, right? And when you were a kid, you're getting beat and he's no good, right? Mm. If you, when you start watching wrestling from like a four feet away, it's like, wow, this is how this like Adrian walks right into people's move and take perfect bumps, you know? And that's how talented he was, the timing-wise, and the, the way he sells it. And when the Larry the X came in, the way he, you know, make face like all scared and all these things, like, wow! I just learned so much from, um, from him. My being in the ringside, it's like I forgot to take pictures. I just watched these guys and studied, you know. And uh, actually. Pretty soon, about a year later, Adrian and Jesse Venture were main event status. And they didn't, see, Vern Gagne and Mad Dog Vashan didn't really drop the title to those two. That uh, either Vern or Mad Dog, I forgot, but there was supposedly injured and title uh, up for grab vacant. Then, then uh, AWA president Stanley Blockburn or something like that uh, will come on TV and that the uh, award the title to Jesse Venter and Adrian Adonis. Therefore, they became AWA Tag Team Champions. And I believe it was the first major title for both guys, you know? Hmm. Yeah, like 26-year-old Adrian, 28-year-old Jesse Venter. That was their first major title. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, they both uh, pretty much 
exploded from that point after i mean they both took different paths but they yeah, both yeah, yeah. got very popular uh from that point yeah and they're famous yeah 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 so they they got along you know got along just fine first you know couple of years but uh, eventually they, they told me i don't know what happened but they weren't really enjoying the tag team and uh, they wanted to go separate way and sure enough when they went to new york be a challenger of bob backland they were you know promoted to a singles you know singles wrestler adrian had a program against bob backland jesse had a program against bob backland and jesse ventura was the you know one of the very first one to sign get signed away uh, by Vince McMahon, mm -hmm. you know, while he was still working AWA, and AWA was advertising him to be on the show, but uh, sure enough, that uh, Vince McMahon st stole Jesse Ventura from them, and uh, yeah, they were running Jesse Ventura against Hulk Hogan program, and we cannot forget that fact that uh, Hulk Hogan before WWE, WWF, he was working AWA for two years, you know, eighty two, eighty three. So those those three were like really pretty tight at one point, yeah. And it's like let's go to New York together kind of thing, yeah. Because those were they were becoming like '80s superstar, right? I'm talking about this like a '82, '83 period. So they were looking in like a, this decade is their decade, yeah. And it they was all during this yeah. time that uh, Adrian was a. Uh, traveling back and forth to japan was that before or after it, it, it was after because he, he had to go to wwe first and have have bob back on program that brought him to new japan because new japan and vince mcmahon senior had a partnership all those challengers who challenged bob back then like a three madison square garden show remember like a three months in a row are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, See, I remember that. We, um, yeah, new new challenger come in and beat champion for the count out, you know, finish or something. And second, like a double DQ with juice or something. And then third month, you have like a final meet. Yeah, that was it's, the pattern. Wasn't it though? Yeah. And then it's a premiere. Then go on the road show, like go to Philadelphia or Baltimore or, or Poughkeepsie or the Buffalo or... or East East Coast town, you know, all cities, big cities. Yeah, you know, Northeast like territory. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, you know, some some guys stay, but the, usually these that uh, your designated challenger for the champion at the time kind of leave, right? Hmm. It's yeah. It, it would just the same cycle would start again with maybe different faces, but sure, sure. Sergeant Strada come in, or Big Bob Bobby Duncan come in, or. Magnus Peasant Morocco come in, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was like that. And after they finished the Bob Backlund program, you go, it was time for you to go to Japan, right? And Adrian came in summer of 1982 with people like Rick McGraw and Greg Valentine, and all this like a New York, you know, WWF type. Did he, was he in New Japan at the same time as Stan Hansen was, or had Stan Hansen already jumped to Already, Japan? already in, in w, uh, all Japan. Yeah, I see. Uh, yeah. Stan Hansen 
was with New Japan until the end of 81, I believe. Okay. And January of 82, uh, they had program, I mean, Baba Stan Hansen program started that year. So, yes, they didn't cross paths then. then. But the 82, some of 82, it was after he left WWE and he was working at uh, San Antonio, uh, Southwest Championship Wrestling, the Joe Blanchard. They wanted to create that uh, World Heavyweight Championship with the championship belt looked just like Harley Race belt, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a tournament with people like Cowboy Bob Orton, Dirty Dickie Slater, the, the Bob Sweetan, or something like a eight-man singles, you know, elimination, you know, tournament, and Luthes honor you the world title, and Adrian brought the Harley Race model look look like you know this globe belt to japan but the new japan didn't recognize that so it's like he wasn't able to wear that belt in the ring but he brought that belt to japan so he was san antonio texas version of world champion at one point and useless trivia but that the southwest championship pressing of joe blanchard from san antonio texas that was the company that initially had the cable programming, like a national television. Right, and, they were on USA. Yeah, the, the very program and time slot that Vince McMahon stole from them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was originally for for the Blanchard territories on USA when when USA yeah. started. Yeah. So Adrian was that their world champion. Well, yeah, an inaugural champion. Yeah. It's not interesting because Vince saw the USA Network and took the time slot, basically bought out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then that eventually became your uh, what the uh, Real American Pro Wrestling. What was the name of the show? That uh, yeah. Uh, uh, All American Pro Wrestling. All American Pro Wrestling. Yeah. So people are watching the same time, same channel on cable, and then one night, just like your. That uh, what's the dark Saturday? No, what's the name? No, when you Atlanta TV when the oh, Turner when the, TV. Yeah, the the when W not Vince McMahon appeared on the on the television and they started showing, like a World Championship Wrestling. Yeah. yeah, and they started showing double TBS. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, was that Dark Saturday? Black what, Saturday or something? Black Saturday, right, right. So just same thing. Months before that, uh, Vince basically stole. Southwest Championship Wrestling Joe Blanche's TV program from him, you know, and uh, yeah, history is very interesting. Anyhow, that Adrian was working uh, after WWF, Adrian was working in San Antonio uh, at the time, but he was already booked to Japan and uh, he didn't know what, but uh, during his first uh, tour in Japan, New Japan offered him next tour already. So they liked him initially. Yeah, yeah. I guess they didn't really send videotape to the company, and they didn't know what to expect until the guy actually show up and work. And by watching Adrian work in the rings, they go, oh, we like this guy, right? Mm. Yeah, because in, in, in Japanese wrestling, today they do, but the, there is there was no such thing as promo promo you know you don't have a microphone you know and and uh, run the angle or storyline or do the skit or anything you just come to japan and be on tv and have actual matches right so match your matches speaks for itself and adrian was perfect 
and uh, and also again the wrestling is like a the universal language you know with no you know no language barrier that that uh, he can be cocky you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. in that ring you know he can work like really snotty hate you know like a dislikable you know but then again kind of almost cute like a nasty cute <laughs> he, and, he uh, had a lot of character and he could express a lot of himself without having to use any any language it was just in his wrestling mm-hmm, style mm-hmm. and also that uh, he was taking real creative bumps that the people understand right away mm-hmm. and uh, know, he was a, a pretty uh, big guy to be to moving like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so he started having a regular tour with japan and met people, you know. He um, he was friendly with Japanese fans, you know, from like uh, in Shinjuku Keio Plaza Hotel. Uh, he, if you walk around hotel lobby, f- Japanese fan would come come up to you, and ask for an autograph, heel or babyface, mm. right? And Adrian thought it was really interesting. You know, some some of these kids skip school and waiting for wrestlers in the hotel lobby, right? Right. Yeah. It was and then a how- little different over here with the the. the- you know, kayfabe and heels and baby face. Yeah, or kick out all the fans from the lobby. Mm, that's right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, same group of kids, you know, obviously skipping school, you know, sitting in uh, Kiel Plaza Hotel lobby waiting for, you know, Hulk Hogan, Adrian Adonis, Dick Murdoch, Andre the Giant and such, right? Mm-hmm. And Hulk Hogan, you know, talked to him and said, no, go to school, go to school, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, and then Adrian said, "Did you skip school? All right, let's go someplace." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Adrian. It's like, but that's so real and friendly. I mean, I'm not saying skipping school is a great thing, you know, when you're tenth grade or something. But uh, they're so real that uh, Hulk Hogan told these kids that uh, no, you go to school, right? Mm. What are you doing on Monday, right? But Adrian liked it. You skip school? All right, let's go someplace. <laughs> and it was so Adrian, and then. I guess those things will kind of translate, you know, and uh, yeah, attitude, character, uh, the the way you express yourself, not just by talking, but you know, with your body language, all these things Mm -hmm, come mm -hmm. into account more so. For those, you know, teenage fans, Adrian Adanis, you met at hotel lobby, and Adrian Adanis, you you know, you, you watch on TV, same guy. Mm. <laughs> yeah? yeah so that's that's also really really like almost natural you know and uh, people liked him and uh, he started having regular tour and for early 80s you know uh his tag team you know that the double combination moves uh with cowboy bob orton you know like a uh, guy's carrying you know one guy carrying you know the opponent on your shoulder and you know, up on your shoulder like going out atomic drop or something mm-hmm. and adrian fly uh, from top rope to give a clothesline on top of it like a neck breaker or you have guys on the pendulum style back breaker and adrian uh, come off top rope with elbow drop on him mm-hmm. or just some of the moves were adopted in wwf you know like years later somebody's finished like a demolitions finish or right. islanders finish you know I'm talking about Tonga Kid and Haku. Haku. No, it wasn't Haku then, King Haku. Anyhow, but some of these tag team uh, that adopted these certain moves that uh, Adrian Adonis and Bob Orton uh, created and w- probably watched the video or something. And uh, he, they really came up with a lot of new moves. 
probably experimented in Japan. And th- these moves that we talk about, uh, I mean, they're probably just you know commonplace. You, you you don't even blink when you see them on TV today. But it was pretty. Innovative. Somebody must have created creative. it. Yeah, and, and and for the time, especially, it was creative, and uh, it was kind of like adding like the modern wrestling vocabulary. They were kind of responsible. Yeah, for that. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And even people like you know Ricky Choshu, Animal Hamaguchi tag team, Ricky Choshu, Yoshi, you know Yoshihaki Yatsu the tag team, they start doing the same move too. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, so it's like that's how innovating, uh, innovative and creative. Adrian Adonis was, yeah. It's simply just as a wrestler, not as a character, not as a, a talker. He could, he could move. He could wrestle. Yeah. He was a wrestler's wrestler, and it seemed like... Uh, yeah, I think so. It seemed like New Japan really sensed that in him when he came over. Yeah, and it was like 10, 10 11 tours in three-year period. It was like yeah. You had like a, you must have had like a four tours a year for like a three-year period. It's like keep coming back, right? Mm. Yeah. They had a, uh, like I said, Adrian Adonis against Andre the Giant single match situation, a very even match. And, and Andre then, you know, like 1982, 1983, Andre, he was able to move too. That's right. And yeah, they, they had a real good match. And single match against Inoki, very compliment that, uh, you know, of course, Inoki will give you, you know, 1983, Inoki will give you the perfect enzigiri to the back of your head, right? Mm-hmm. And then this one flip, one, like, like uh, he, he didn't have to do it, but like, it's like a flip over, and then yeah. take one. That was kind of one, it was a signature. Yeah, like a, that little front somersault that. Yeah. Extra. I mean, some of the people just take from bump, but for Adrian, you just make it extra spin. <laughs> and especially for someone like Inoki, where you know that it's going to be built to a point where if he does do it, it's going to have that extra, extra oomph, the extra spice to. Yeah, well, Inoki would never admit it, but he, in his mind, said, Oh, I like this guy, right? <laughs> right. It yeah. makes me look good. Oh, the match looks spectacular, you know? Mm. Yeah, so it was, uh, that was a time. I think he, all in all, that uh, he started 74, right? So 75, 76, 78. That was like an eight year, you know, eighth year, ninth year pro. So he, that must have been his prime. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So right off uh, Bob Backlund program, you know? And uh, he got a falling out with Vern Gagne that he left, you know, Minneapolis too. And well, eventually went to New York, that's a better place, you know, and then had a pro- single program against Bob Backlund. That make you famous. And it would be on the cover of your Bill Opto magazine. And uh, initially, East West Connection, Jesse Venter, Adrian Adonis became pretty popular that, that they were on cover of People magazine too, if you remember. I don't remember that. What year was oh, that? 85, yeah. 86? 83. 83. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was all before 1984 national expansion of Vince McMahon. Okay. But they were also part of national expansion roster. Mm -hmm. That uh, Vince McMahon pretty much invited everything back, everybody back, you know, that uh, 
the, the shaved head version of Bob Backlund, Adrian Adonis, Ken Patera, Jesse Ventura, uh, not jumping Jim Brunzel of High Flyers, but the Killer Bee, Jim Brunzel, that the Tiro Santana, the old, the, the former AWA champion, but uh, Rick Martel was one of them, and uh, it they wanted to have 100 people in roster, right? So Adrian and Jesse went back to WWE as of 84. But Adrian was uh, was still touring Japan all the way till like summer of 85 until Vince said, nobody goes to Japan. Yeah. And from there was the, the WrestleMania era, the yep, modern yep. era of uh, WWF. Yeah, a little bit of tricky thing was though uh, that the WrestleMania one was March of '85, right? Mm-hmm. After March, a couple more times, Hulk Hogan came to Japan with this Ichiban tights and silver, you know, boots on, and Adrian came back one more time too. Until oh, Bob Backlund came to Japan too. Until no more Japan tour mm-hmm. <laughs> for you know WWE roster. Nobody but Andre. Andre kept coming back to New Japan until like pretty much summer of 86 because they didn't need Andre there all, at all time. Next time Andre came back to WWE full time, it was time to turn. And it was Saturday night main event that uh, million dollar man, man buying belts and uh, you know Andre challenging Hulk Hogan for the single match, WrestleMania 3, all these things. But until then, yeah, he was hidden because you don't need Andre every week, right? Right. He's a, a kind of special attraction. Yeah, right. Because he was like a traveling ambassador for the territory to territory all through 70s. And when Andre traveled all through, you know, 70s into early 80s, every territory wherever Andre went, it was there super spectacular to have super battle royal, right, for the weekend. Mm. Yeah. So, but the so Andre, uh, get back to the the subject. The Andre was still coming to New Japan until like '86, but everybody else were gone, pretty much. You know that the, all the WWE superstar who used to came, you know, come to New Japan, they all kind of all together disappeared. No more Hulk Hogan. Um, Andre was there, but uh, no Adrian Adonis, no Bob Backlund. You know, and. Uh, it was like they had to New Japan had to sign new deals like world class then Kevin Von Erich and Kerry Von Erich start coming over and uh, they had to create new stars eventually they had Vader Bam Bam Bigelow and Scott Norton and, and whatnot right mm-hmm. so it was like a changing uh, the end of an era that the Adrian stopped coming over to Japan as of summer of 85 then next time I saw him he already had the gay gimmick in WWE. Yeah. Yeah. In, in WWE, he became a character. He became completely yeah. different. Oh, before I forget that the, until then, Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch were a regular tag team in Japan. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Then those two together went to WWE to be WWE tag team champion. But the Dick Murdoch hated the schedule and he left right away pretty much. They, they came back to Japan. They were kind of a similar. Dick Murdoch, in the same way, was like. Uh, yeah, I think so. Adrian yeah, very Adonis, similar. Yeah, big guy yeah, who could so. also move smoothly uh, and so naturally talented, but yes. didn't really have the drive to be your superstar, superstar. You know what I'm saying? Because he, he didn't really care about that. You know. And there was always a, a real consistency anytime they were inside the ring with 
you could rely on somebody like that. It seemed like, especially in Japan, where you, you need somebody to go in for yeah, a couple they of almost look like you know they, they could do this match without even trying. Right, <laughs> you know? there was something yeah. very natural about both of uh, both how Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis wrestled. Yeah, and then they, neither of them are bodybuilders. Nope, <laughs> nope. But they do have that natural kind of tough guy uh, vibe mm-hmm. about them. Yep, yep, and uh, yeah. So like, uh, Dick Murdoch treated uh, Adrian Adonis like a little brother, you know, the older, of course, you know. Yeah. So Murdoch was a bit, you know, the generation older, but uh, he did not want to have this WWE schedule, so he kind of went there, but didn't stay long. But Adrian wanted to stay there, you know. And uh, initially, I believed, you know, WWE or whomever creative that uh, you know creative was at the time. They gave Adrian this gay gimmick to get him to quit. Is that right? I, I, that's what I heard. Yeah, that, that, that he hated the gimmick, and uh, they make him do that, and uh, eventually he he might quit. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know? what's ironic about that is that he took this gimmick and he became so effective with it, and he. It's almost he, he got to a point where he would get so much heat from the crowd that he could, he didn't really have to step into the match. He, he, but he did ring. But the, Keith, you know, Adrian's wife didn't let you know their kids watch the show while right. Was it was doing. a different time. Uh, I mean, he, yeah, he don't watch wrestling on TV. You know, but you're not gonna like what you see. You know, or just won't be good. You know, just to watch dads doing that. You know, because like he had to explain, right? And he had a whole different look, and he had the makeup and the blonde and blonde hair and pink hair and the pink hats. trunks. Sure, yeah, like eyeshadow. Yeah, the whole line here. Then eventually, that the hair against hair match, and he get head shaped. Ah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, with the Brutus Brutus Beefcake. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And but the, he lasted in WWE until like end of '87. Yeah. Then he had a short stint with Dying Days of AWA, ESPN, that the Las Vegas showboard, if you remember. No, refresh my memory on that. What was that about? Uh, AWA had a national. Oh, the AWA show, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah went right, back yeah. to AWA for like a, like a five months, six months. You know, dyed his hair back to normal, you know, brunette brown hair, and had a leather jacket back on. Pretty heavy, but the old Adrian Adonis, you know, made comeback of this ESPN show, AWA Las Vegas Showboat TV taping. And he was there. That the Card Hennig, uh, Nick Bachwinkle turned aged Bachwinkle turned babyface and had a 60 minute match. You know, young Kurt Hennig against Nick Bachwinkle around that time period. Adrian was back with AWA for a very short period of time. Yeah. 87? Yeah. Must have been. Then, yeah. yeah. Then, yeah. Then, eventually, in spring of '88, Adrian, you know, made his way back to New Japan, and uh, he was welcome. But was, by then, Big Van Vader, you know, era had begun. No. Ah. Yeah, because he was putting Vader over clean one, two, three in the middle of the ring during that tour. But he had. Adrian had very, very good attitude in spring of 1988. 
he was losing weight, he was working out, he was not drinking, and he, when he comes to Japan, he become very clean because nothing is tempting, right? Because when you come to Japan, you don't find anything. Sure. I mean, un unless you work very hard, and what's yes. the point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so when you come to Japan, all you have to do is, you know, you just think about the work and travel and work out, eat right and have a good match and uh, you have no language barrier, no promo. You just go out there and wrestle. And he had like a new attitude. Like he was telling me that that uh, this summer I'm going in small smaller territory, uh, the maritime wrestling. If Do you remember Rene Dupree, you know, the, the SmackDown Tag Team Champion? Sure, yeah, he's in pro wrestling Noah now. Oh, right, him, him. His father, Emile Dupree, mm -hmm. was, run, was running summer territory in, in uh, New Brunswick and Eastern Canada area mm -hmm. all, every summer. That summer territory was where he was spent that summer. You know, uh, this, I'm going in smaller territory and work every day. And uh, it's a great attitude, you know, they don't even think about WWE, but the, the smaller territory or summer territory still existed at the end of the 80s, you know. Then he booked himself to Canada and uh, July 4th, you know, the, the sun doesn't go down, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, yeah, and then he was driving you know not he he, he wasn't driving but uh, it was on the van and uh, the big deer came out and was trying to i guess avoid the deer or something and his truck went down the, in the cliff and uh, went all the way to down to the river and uh, he and one half of um, kelly twins canadian wild man and like four guys died in a car accident on july 4th of 1988 Mm. Yeah, right when he had a great attitude, he was losing weight, working out, you know, clean, and um, he was going back to smaller territory and work every night and just like all days, you know, it's just like a new attitude, you know, good attitude that uh, I, I believe he would make big comeback. You know, he was on, or he was only thirty-four when that happened. It's way too young. Oh, 34. So September 15th is his birthday. So he was yeah, before 35th birthday. So he was still 34. So young, right? Then, but he had 10 year run as a super, you know, superstar too, you know? And uh, yeah, the wrestler's life, you know, a lot of stuff happened, right? From New York City to Portland, Oregon, to Los Angeles, and a couple more territory, and went down to Amarillo, Texas, and went to AWA, went to New York, WWF run, then went to San Antonio, Texas, and had a, their local version of world title. Then uh, went, was brought into New Japan, and he had a three-year run with New Japan, and went back to WWF and had that, you know, that period, and he came back to Japan at the, you know, the spring of '88. Oh, the whole he went through so much, right? So he changed that. That uh, he had such a good attitude. The hair is back to. No more blonde hair, no more pink trunks. That he was back, to, you know, writer's black leather jacket, and he wanted to work like he used to. And uh, after summer, and uh, I'll see you again. I'll be back in the end of summer. I mean, to to New Japan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the last time I saw him.
It's yeah. amazing to think about how much he accomplished in such a short time, being only 34. I mean, he made a pretty big impact on wrestling in the 80s. Yeah, especially, I think so. And he was such a short one of the, time in WWF, One of too. the best at the time, you know, at, at, yeah. at, at one point. But he, people, in, I mean, basically like English-speaking area, you know, like American audience, mm. don't remember that part of Adrian Adonis. Well, unfortunately, because WWF was on such a major scale at the time, where they remember the gimmick, the adorable Adrian Adonis gimmick. Yeah, uh, yeah. But his, his career, especially if you, if you like watching someone you can consider a wrestler's wrestler, he really was yeah. that. And yeah, so Sansonia footage, now. 82 footage, mm -hmm. uh, 82, 83 footage, you know, from San Antonio that team against Bob Orton or, or that the year earlier than that, that uh, Adrian against Bob Backlund, two matches at the Madison Square Garden. Those two are good. Yeah. And some of the TV matches, of course, you know, that they taped five weeks of, you know, of TV at the time, right? Like old fashioned. Mm -hmm. Poughkeepsie or Allen. Yeah, yeah. Like all afternoon, all night, you know, so, so you can find a lot of Adrian match around that time period from that footage. And a lot of the Adrian match from New Japan, 82, 83, 84, that, uh, that sometimes not on New Japan world. But sometimes you can find those. Somebody put that up on YouTube. You have to find it. But uh, there are a lot of matches that you've never seen that, that Adrian's prime. That he was really good hmm. when he was really good. Yeah. I think That's what I'm quite trying a bit to get on to. New, yeah. Jap New Japan World. I think I, they might have the Inoki match. They might have. Uh, let me, I can check right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, but I do believe there are, if you want to watch Adrian Adonis and Nick Murdoch tag team situation. Yeah, I, I believe so. Let me see what this pulls up. So if you have the New Japan. Can you Worlds... search under Adrian Adonis? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Or so, year. So it looks like they have about six bouts on the streaming oh, service, but they're from uh, 83, 84, 85. Okay, what are those? So we have, uh, like you said, we have Dick Murdoch versus uh, Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch okay. and Adrian Adonis as a tag team against Fujinami and Kengo Kimura. Oh, typical. Oh, that mm -hmm. one should be good. Yeah. Or, or just Kengo Kimura versus Adrian Adonis in a single single. Match. That's so Adrian. Yeah. Or uh, Dick Murdoch and Adonis versus Choshu and Animal Hamaguchi. Oh, that that should be good too. Mm -hmm. I think two heels. <laughs> One more, it looks like it's uh, Inoki, Fujinami, and Kimura versus Dick Murdoch, Adrian Adonis, and King Kong Bundy, who oh, okay. did okay, make very a, good. appearance in the mid-'80s. Ah, okay. Yeah, King Kong Bundy was going to be another New Japan superstar, but Hulk Hogan apparently liked him, so it kind of took him. Took know? him for WrestleMania too. yeah. Yeah, and make, made main event, yeah. So he was good for Bundy. But Inoki likes King Kong Bundy so much that the very first two, you know, uh, King Kong Bundy, it was tag team situation. But the, this 1985 version of Antonio Inoki put Bundy over clean, one, two, three, in the ring. Mm. It doesn't happen too often, right? No. Yeah. Tag team, tag team match, though. But it was like, wow, that guy can beat, pin uh, Antonio Inoki. It's like a... 
that's a instant yeah overnight that's a real visit. real deal he's is to be taken seriously yeah 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 because they had plans but then again if wwe wanted you know wwf wanted him he would sign them to, you know, sign there too so uh king kong bundy only lasted with new japan about a year and then he was wwe bound yeah mm. It's okay. You know, we're talking about Adrian that he really had run with WWF and he had, you know, his, you know, three year, four year run with New Japan, healthy run. And, and there was a time that the younger, you know, the Adrian Adonis, who was like a 26, 27, AWA, the era that, that, that made him star, like, you know, was Jesse Ventura and the, the first major title too, but the, he really worked main event in territory. Yeah, but he was it always was, memorable. Anytime you saw him, it, he was always one of the wrestlers that you remembered after the show. Yeah, yeah, he stuck yeah. in your head. So he had this, you know, strange charm to him. You know, yeah, real cocky. You know, but he real, can move. Real cocky, but he also had. Uh, it was almost like, um, like physical comedy, like Buster Keaton. Or oh okay okay you know what I mean, I mean? He, was, he was taking bumps you know one big bump after another but yeah. he wasn't ta- well, he wasn't like a stuntman they were all they were kind of funny too especially if it was a baby face uh, getting his comeuppance against uh, the yeah bad like guy. Uh, the Hulk Hogan spot where you know by the rope or, you know by, just by the rope in, on the apron and he, that uh, Hulk Hogan gives you either punch or backhand slap that mm-hmm. he flips over the rope. And come back, and you t- all tied up. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, and he gets uh, caught in the two top two ropes. two ropes. Yep, yeah, yep. it's almost like a comedy. Yeah, and then and when he did that, Hulk Hogan slapped him right and left. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the... he he get thrown into the into the turnbuckle, and he would do the you know the, the flips. flare. Of course, of or, course. Or uh, Shawn Michaels. It's the same style, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like a classic or the textbook heel big bump kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a lot of moves like uh, that they run across the ring, you know, diagonally and give big bulldog, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a lot of that. Yeah. There's a lot to learn. I think I, you can learn a yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, study his tapes. Yeah. Today? And, and, yes. And it's amazing. Like I said earlier, I mean, he wasn't in WWF for very long and for how much he's talked about for being in there for what two years yeah i mean i'm, I'm talking about the the last run not the the initial run but uh his, his last two uh, his last stint with wwf yeah is unfortunately but it was not like he was uh, like a buried in you know opening card oh no he, he did, was an attraction yeah, he as did well have yeah, like a Roddy Piper, Adrian Adonis, Adonis single match at WrestleMania. That's pretty high on card. Mm-hmm. It was just that his gimmick at the time was so terrible that that's how he, you know, how people remember him. You know, it's, it's also kind of like the prototype for what Gold Dust Dustin Rhodes would do later on. It was just a similar idea, yeah, as far as the character. It it, it 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 works for some people. It doesn't work for some guys. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
because if Dusty Rose, American Dream, Dusty Rose does that, he still look like American American Dream, Dusty Rose. Mm, mm. And that the Goldust, Dustin Rose, really exaggerated, made it into art form, like a Hollywood movie and the quotes and all the you know gold thing come off from the ceiling, and it just it, it really made it special. But yeah, the, there was more Adrian's, depth to it. Yeah, Adrian's character was put together and was like a, th- a throw at him or something, you know. Yeah, he was he was meant to to be hated by as many people as possible. I suppose, yeah. Still be banished by Jimmy Hart, mm-hmm. and so it was as a, as far as the card goes, it's pretty up there. But it, it, obviously, he wasn't enjoying it, mm. you know. Yeah. Well, it sounded like he really. When he got on track, back on track with his life in the late '80s, and was really seemed to enjoy uh, pro wrestling again. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I felt it. It was a, I'm talking about spring of '88, but it was uh, so unfortunate. It was just a couple months before he uh, passed. Mm. You know, yeah. Right when he had a great attitude again, and uh, you know, I'm going in summer territory and going, in, you know, that. Uh, New New Brunswick, you know, the, the Dupree territory, and spend summer there, you know. And then I'll be back in the summer, you know. I'll see you in the end of summer. He was gonna come back to New Japan, and uh, yeah. So uh, and also, Brody thing happened only two weeks after his passing. Oh wow, wow! So all the news, all the wrestling news, uh, start talking about you it's know a tragic what summer. Brody. Yeah, same summer, only like a two weeks apart. Mm. Yeah. Uh, on Adonis, yeah. I mean, again, 34, that's so young. I mean, he's somebody who wrestled with a style that he could have wrestled for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And also lasted with Japan for a real long time. Mm-hmm. He could retire in Japan, you know? Maybe turned babyface in Japan and the works Japan side at the end of his run. Never know, right? You never know, unfortunately, but... um. We can celebrate his work uh, right now, and we can do it luckily with you know technology and and yeah YouTube yeah let's find yeah let's find more service. Adrian Adrian Adonis match on YouTube yeah yeah because they may not have that many on WWE Network. You might they have might. to do some research. That's right. Yeah yeah right. So they may have uh, Adrian Adonis Bob Backlund title match from Madison Square Garden in there if you look for it. Hmm. Yeah. But the, his prime is elsewhere too. Old New Japan matches, or the San Antonio matches, or if you find anything on uh, the Pacific Northwest, that the real rookie years, he already had that, you know. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Or AWA matches. Yeah. There was Hulk Hogan against Adrian Adonis before WWE. It was AWA match Hulk Hogan against Adrian, which is interesting. Yeah. Very interesting, and it's always I like thinking about what could have, you know, what could have, yeah, what could have been, and how much he could have done. And again, we can take a look. Back yeah, now that's it it's. Now. I think it's our role to you know tell today's audience, you know, because his his history, his legacy, been pretty much overlooked. So you know, let's remember Adrian Adonis and. What a talent, you know, you know, how talented he really was. And uh, you can, you know, watch his match today and still pretty good. You know? And you can realize these, how yeah, much he, matches. 
how much he added to to modern pro wrestling when when I'm talking. I think about so. What yeah, we see very today. innovative. Yeah. Innovative for the time, but I mean, if you if you think about it now, it's pretty. Oh, it's almost like you think it's fundamental, but um, it, it was different and new and creative back then, and that's another big part of what he gave to pro wrestling. Not just a entertainment factor, but he actually you know helped helped build yeah, the vocabulary. also have to have that the people uh person who's watching of old footage the person has to be somewhat have educated eyes for wrestling because he'll be taking a lot of bumps and not much i mean not necessarily winning the match you know what i'm saying hmm. being heel selling and being creative you know when you're a kid you know if you sell that much it's like that guy's not good <laughs> getting beat right Right, but there was something in his skill that any time, at least for me, any time you saw him on the screen, you, you couldn't really take your eyes off of him. There's something very magnetic yeah, he about moved very well, yeah, or his moved. facial expressions or his reactions to who he was wrestling uh, and throwing his sweat onto the crowd. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, how he interacted sweat. with the crowd. He, he was yeah. very much himself. Yeah, it's like a talking to crowd like your mother should have had an abortion. It's like, bad. <laughs> but these days, it's almost like that. It's the template for the the perfect bad guy, that perfect heel. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he could do whatever you asked of him. It seems like. Yeah, I think I think he had influence on the young Paul Heyman too. See, when Paul Paulie is the Paul Heyman was still young manager with cell phone, like initial cell phone that's really big, like a walkie-talkie. Mm -hmm. He was Paulie Dangerously, the manager in dying day of AWA. They had run. Yeah, they traveled together. Mm. They, they must have talked wrestling all night long. Mm. I'm interested to hear if uh, what Paul Heyman would have to. Say, <laughs> yeah, on yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So you never know how how many people he has touched or mm -hmm. influenced, yeah. and will continue to through you know. Hopefully, us talking about him will spark some interest, and you can go online. And I and sure hope so because the video footage is there, and uh, you can still watch him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, why not? I have I mean, such a fun memory on yeah. Adrian Adonis. Yeah. He, he's gone too soon for sure, and he was very talented, and I think he gave a lot more to wrestling than we realize. Right, right. Okay. So I think that we did a good job uh, of covering Adrian Adonis's career. So if anybody has questions or comments, or anything about today's show or anything related to the show or fight game media in general, where can we find you, Fumi, on? On Twitter, at Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. Message me first. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. That's it for this week. Until next time, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Thank <laughs> you.